0: and saving any who would call on his name, but that's the big thing. And if we lose sight in the Christmas season, especially for Christians, the world sees Christmas. It's another opportunity for some other things. But for Christians, if we lose sight that Jesus came to save us, we've really lost the biggest thing going. So we're going to look this morning at Jesus as Savior. We're going to start in the quintessential... Christmas story, if you've got your Bibles, it's worth opening up, or the pew Bibles in front of you, and I'm reading from the ESV, which is the same as the, the ones in the pews, and this is Luke 2, verses 1 through 14, and this just sets us up to look at Jesus as Savior from there on. So Luke 2, 1 through 14. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace Among those with whom he is pleased. And just look at this again for just a second. Uh, The good news, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And the good news of great joy for all is that for you has been born in the city of David a Savior. The good news is that we have had a Savior born for us. Who's Christ the Lord? Both of those things, Jesus is born the Savior and the Savior is Christ the Lord. Those are both important You don't have to turn back, but in Luke 1, 32, when the angel Gabriel went to Mary and told her, hey, by the way, you're going to bear the Son of the Most High. You're going to bear the Son of God. And he told her this. uh, The angel Gabriel said, when you bear that Son, the Son of the Most High, uh, you're to call his name Jesus. You're not naming this little fella. We're telling you, God's telling you what to call his name. If you go to Matthew one twenty one, the text there says an angel. It never identifies the angel in Matthew as Gabriel, though it might be. Many people think it is. But the angel there tells Joseph, because he's having second thoughts, I know Mary's pregnant, what do I do about this? The angel shows up in a dream and says, Hey, Mary the young lady, she's going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the angel says to Mary, you call his name Jesus. The angel says to Joseph, you call his name Jesus. There's a point to be made here. And he continues and he says, because he will save his people from their sins. Names are a big deal in the Bible, aren't they? Especially the Old Testament. But do we know what Jesus' name literally means? It's a compound word. And it means Yahweh saves. So if you go into the Old Testament, you're looking at the word or the name Joshua, same, same name, or Yahshua. And that name literally means Yahweh saves. So when they name this baby, the baby's name means God saves. That's the reason God came to the earth. Jesus' name means God saves, and he of course is Yahweh himself. Yahweh saves through Jesus, Yahweh as Jesus has come down To save us, that is the big deal about Christmas. If we forget this, guys, for Christians too. I am all for good times, by the way. Parties, good food, the families and friends get together. This is great, right? Gifts given and received. But really, any occasion would do for that, right? Fourth of July, uh, all kinds of reasons we can make for that. For Christians, if we lose in the Christmas time or the season or the Christmas message the fact that this whole thing is wrapped up in God came to save us, then it's just another, it's a winter holiday, it's a time to get off work, it's many things, but it's not the focus God intends us to have. We needed saving and Jesus came to save us. And that's, that's the big deal. We can't afford to lose sight of that. He, the angel said to Mary also, she said, the angel said, uh, you're to name him Jesus. He is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Christ, the Lord. Christ is that Greek word that translates the Hebrew Messiah, so it means anointed. So if you go back into the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed by God. They were singularly singled out by God, and that oil was poured over them. That was the anointing. There was anointing oil. The oil signifies God's choice or the Holy Spirit. They're empowered to serve in God's name. And so the angel tells Mary, this one that's coming, he's not just any Savior, he's God's Messiah, he's God's Christ. This becomes a title for Jesus in the New Testament. He is singularly, in fact, you could have called lots of people in the Old Testament a Messiah, that they were anointed, and they were. But Messiah comes to be this title that becomes unique to the single Savior King that God said he would one day sin, that in Jesus, the prophets, the priests, and the kings are summed up in one person. You see this in the New Testament later on. So the angel says to Mary, you're to name him Jesus, Yahweh saves, God saves, and he is Christ, he is the chosen one by God whose time has finally come, God's chosen Savior King is finally going to be in the world. And he's also Lord. Lord in English is translating kurios, and it means supreme or master, The one that's coming is named God saves. He's the anointed one by God, and he's also the Lord himself. He's kurios. Now, in the New Testament, you'll see this word used for landowners and people of importance also, but it's also used of of God, and it's routinely used of Jesus himself. He is the saving God. He is the one singularly singled out by God as Messiah, and he is the supreme master or Lord of all over all that as well. So in the midst of Christmas, this, the, the message that comes in is God has sent his son, God has sent himself into the world, the chosen one, the long-awaited one, the Lord of all to, singularly, to save us. That we needed a savior and God has finally sent a savior into the world. Guys, as we're thinking about this, when you read through the Scriptures, you'll see that the term save, rendered Old or New Testament, is fairly plastic in its use. We say save today, and we're usually talking about someone repenting and trusting Christ, but it's used more widely than that throughout the Bible. Context determines what we're supposed to get from that. Jesus came as a Savior to save us from sin. We'll look at that in a minute. But he also came as a savior in a number of ways to different kinds of people in different kinds of ways. And that's what we'll look at this morning. We're going to start by noting who Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus' birth came to at first. You know, the, the angel showed up to an odd group, right? An odd crowd. Shepherds on the hills. These, these guys were working the night shift out on the hills. Do you think these were the important people, the shepherds, working the night shift in the cool hills? You know, Brian talked about this in Sunday school. Guys, these were the poor people. These were the overlooked people. Shepherds did, were not held in high esteem when Jesus was born. So the first announcement that a Savior is born is to the poor, not to the rich and famous, not to the well-placed, not to those in positions of authority or power, but the first proclamation is to the poor in the land. And this is a theme you see throughout Jesus' birth. In Matthew 5.3, when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because they're going to get the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. That God has a special concern, a special consideration for the poor. And that's the first group Jesus shows up, or whom Jesus' announcement is made to. This also comes up in Luke 418 The first message Jesus preached, if you remember, he's baptized by John. He's out in the wilderness being tempted and tested for 40 days. And then he goes back home to Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue. And they give him the scroll and he opens to Isaiah. And he reads from Isaiah. This is the first time he's publicly as Messiah coming in and preaching. And from Isaiah, he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's I'm anoint. I'm the anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. When the message of the gospel comes, when the arrival of Christ occurs, it's the poor who hear that good news before anyone else has. They're the ones who actually can go to the manger and see Christ there. First of all, the message of God's salvation comes to the poor first. So the upside for you and I is this. If we're willing to recognize that we are the spiritually poor, that we are the paupers before a holy God, that we bring nothing to God of merit or use, then Jesus came to save us. Or you may just feel like I'm the poor because I'm overlooked. I'm not part of the in crowd. I I am on the sides of society. Or I feel like I'm poor overlooked in the church even. But the great thing is, anybody who has Christ has the wealth not only of the world, but of the new heavens and the new earth. If we recognize our poverty, Jesus came to save us. And poverty takes a number of different things. Spiritual poverty is the first, and it's the most important to recognize that we have a spiritual poverty before God that only Jesus can take care of for us. Jesus can give us the wealth of the world because he forgives our sins. So, you and I, whether it's spiritual poverty and our sin, or whether it's simply the sense that we're not part of the important people in the world, God gives us in Christ a significance that nothing else can. You you have a place in God's family. You have significance. You have standing. You're moved from spiritual poverty into the place of spiritual wealth through Christ because he's coming to save the poor. Another group that Jesus came for, and I think this is one that we that we overlook a lot today, and this is one that particularly excites me. Jesus came to save Jews. Jesus came as a Jewish Messiah. You know, we're 2,000 years into the age of the church when Jews and Gentiles have formed one new person in Christ. But when Jesus shows up, He's a Jewish Messiah. He's a Jew. And He's come to the Jews to save Jews. And think about this. The Jewish nation had been waiting for him. And the Jews had had promises that went back a couple thousand years, if you go to Genesis 12, that you're going to have someone from you is going to be a blessing to the whole world. That's messianic. That's 2,000 years before Jesus' birth. And if you look at the Jews through Psalms, some of the Psalms, that you get this cry, this re- recurring cry, How long, O Lord? Psalm 13, will you forget me forever? Or Psalm 90... Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. In fact, if you look at that old hymn, O Holy Night, from 1847, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. If you were a Jew when Jesus was born, you'd been waiting a long time for God to fulfill this promise that a Savior was going to come to you. In fact, put it in this perspective 1,800 years, these are round numbers, 1,800 years since God told the Jewish nation that the tribe of Judah would produce the king, the Savior King. 1,800 years. About a 1,000 years since God promised the Savior from the household or the lineage of David. 700 years since Isaiah had said that the virgin would give birth to Emmanuel, that God would come to us through the virgin birth. 400 years since God had promised The Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in His wings. Malachi 4, the last thing God had said was, I'm going to send the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. 400 years since that. You've got to have a Jewish mindset when you read Zechariah's psalm in Luke 1. And you can turn there. We'll be in several verses there for just a minute. But Jesus came to save Jews. And so when Zechariah is at the circumcision of his son, John the Baptist, he's been silent for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy, because he didn't believe the promise initially. Remember, he like Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth are too old to have kids, but the angel comes and says, you're going to have a kid? And they do. And it's John the Baptist. He's another miracle child. At his circumcision, God looses Zechariah's mouth. He's able to speak again. And he breaks out into this psalm. But listen to the language. It's about redemption and salvation to the Jews. He says, this is starting at verse 68 in Luke 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed His people. By the way, this is all about the Messiah, not John the Baptist. He's not talking about his own son yet. He's visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we, and remember, Zechariah is speaking as a Jew in the Jewish nation, that we should be saved from our enemies, and they're under, Jewish, or under Roman oppression at this time, that we would be saved from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we Jews being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Zechariah was a godly Jew. You see others there's Anna and Simeon in this, this story going on a little further in Luke's Gospel too. But the Jews had been looking for this Savior King who would come and deliver them from their enemies. And so here he is. He shows up and that's Zechariah's perspective. The one we, the Jewish nation, have been waiting for, he's here. If you would put this in perspective today, if you were a Christian living in Syria, or Iraq under ISIS, this might be a helpful comparison. If I came up to you and told you your deliverance is nigh, I'm going to send you a Savior. Somebody's going to come in and deliver you. Man, you you couldn't wait. You'd be hanging on that promise. And that's what they were doing. They're hanging on that promise. The godly in Israel are looking for this Savior King to come. Now, as it turned out, and we know this today, right? They didn't know this at the time. We know that today in the Incarnation, Jesus came primarily to become the Lamb of God who would die and take away the sins of the world and He's going to form one new man, the church. But guys, the church was slow. Remember, they're Jewish. They're looking for Jewish expectations. They were slow to come around to this. They finally start getting it. You see this from Peter in Acts 5.31. God exalted Him, Jesus, at His right hand as a leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Peter's keen in on the forgiveness of sins here. They start realizing Jesus isn't coming, the kingdom isn't here in its fullness, but our sins are now forgiven. It says the same thing Paul does in Acts 13 of this man's King David's offspring. God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus as He promised. But there's this theme that Jesus came for Jews, for Israel. And of course, when you read Romans 1, Paul says, That when the gospel goes out, it always goes to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Now, lots of Christians disagree on this. Romans 11, I think it's 26, I think it's 26, might be 36, says uh, that all Israel will be saved. And in context there, it's a contrast between Israel and the nations, Israel and the church. And I still firmly believe, and this this is one of the reasons I get excited about this, that Jesus came for Jews, the Jews have been written off. But isn't it interesting, they're still persecuted throughout history. For the last 2,000 years, if God was done with the Jews, the enemy doesn't need to persecute them as he has for the last 2,000 years. But at the return of Christ, I firmly believe, you're going to see Israel brought into the millennial kingdom. And Jesus is going to fulfill this words, And he will become, for the descendants of Abraham, that savior king who will be reigning. So today we tell Jews... uh, The Messiah, Jesus, we call by a Western Greek name Jesus, Yeshua, is your Savior. He came for your sins, not just ours. He's not a a Western-only Savior. He's here for your sins, but in the future as well, Israel is still going to look on the one whom they pierced as he descends on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, all say the same thing. Jesus is coming back to deliver and to save the Jews. I love that. God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. That's something that we can hang our hat on. So you can tell people, if you interact with someone of Jewish descent today, you can tell them, Jesus isn't a Western Savior. He's your Savior. He's a Jew. He came to save you. Uh, Have you guys ever been lost? And when I say lost, I mean really lost, where you knew, I have no idea where I am and I don't know how to get out. I'm going to share a couple stories that I know some of you have heard before, but they're so apt, I wanted to anyway. I was on a fishing trip in Montana, in God's country, where God's a little closer to you and you're a little closer to God. <clears throat> right near the Canadian border. friend and I had hiked up into these high mountain lakes. we have been fishing for cutthroat trout. Successful weekend. It was, it was glorious. Fall weather. Uh, the leaves up there had been turning. And so we've had a great weekend. It's Sunday afternoon. We're going to hike out. We've got to come out of one valley, up a ridge down that ridge into another valley, take a trail down to my truck a couple miles down the way. So we come up and we're on this ridge and we're just, we're just standing there loving the view. You're looking north into Canada, you're looking down into another valley, and it is lovely. And we finally realized that these distances are vast. Uh, we finally realized that on a ridge perpendicular to our own, someone is there. And not only is someone there, but we realize someone is yelling. And we finally realize they're actually yelling at us. And we yell back and don't know much what's going on. We go down our merry way down into the valley below. Well, a guy is is hurrying. We finally realize he's asking us to stop, to wait. And so we do. We wait. And he's coming down as fast as he can, down a, a huge rock slide that dumps into the valley we're in. And he says, you've got to help us. Okay. And he's exasperated. He's exasperated and he's excited. Okay. He says, my wife and I, and we look up and there's a young lady at the top of the rock slide who is just gingerly and she's clearly very tired. Is just trying to come down this rock slide. You got to help us. My wife and I, now get this, I kid you not, are on our honeymoon. We've been lost for the last two days. We've had nothing to eat, nothing to drink since yesterday morning. And they were looking at another night in the mountains, he had a 30-pound bow, practice arrows. That was his defense against, this is grizzly country, against bears. And he had a knapsack with a cheap uh, summer weight sleeping bag. I'm serious. This is no kidding. You don't make these things up. And uh, uh, we said, of of course we'll help. This guy literally carried his wife on his back. She, she was at the end. Carried his wife on his back two miles down to my truck, Rick and I carried the little bit of gear he had. And what I loved about this, the guy that's with me is a very happy pagan. The husband and wife are Christians. And they were absolutely lost. And so you can imagine, their expectation was, we're looking at another night in the mountains. We have nothing to eat. We have nothing to drink. We have inadequate covering. We're in a dangerous place anyway. And instead, God sends them some buddies And we drop them off at their porch. They have a hot supper at their house. They lie down that night in their beds because they were lost and they got found. They were lost and they got found. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, one of the the queries on this is you've got to ask yourself, uh, who's lost and am I lost? If you say Jesus came for the lost, but I'm not lost. Thank you very much. I know where I'm going. There's no real need along this line. Here's another brief story. I was hunting uh, several years ago, and I was in an area I'd never been before, north of Topeka, and it was a very gray overcast day, no sun in the sky, there's no reference to look up in the sky and see, and the guys dropped me off on the road, and I'm going to walk through, and we're all scattered apart, you can't see each other, we're going to walk through from one road to the other, a mile through. And uh, I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking. I think, man, I can't believe I haven't found that road. And uh, I thought, hmm, I'm taking markers on trees. I finally end up, after a very long time, I know those guys are all done hunting, and they're wondering where Mike is. And I finally get back to the road. I've hiked all the way through. I'm on the other road. I'm figuring they'll drive by and find me. And they do. Their truck comes right up the road, and and there they are. And they're like, where have you been? I'm walking through. They said, well, why would you come back to where we let you off? And I said, I did, not I'm on the opposite road. They said, no, you're right where we left you. I, guys, I was lost, and I didn't know it. I thought, I thought I'd gone straight through. I'd made a 180-degree turn. I was right back where they dropped me off. They're just wondering, where is he? Maybe he'll come back out where he started. But you get the picture. If, if you're lost and you know it, and someone says, I know the way, you're ready to hear if you're lost and don't know it, or if you're unwilling to admit, no one here would admit this, no guy here would admit, I'm lost and I need directions. But if, if, you're, if you're not willing to admit you're lost, this is hard to frame. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. By the way, this is really encouraging to me. He says this in Luke 19.10. And he says it in the context of a guy coming to faith that no one else thought would. Because this is a Jewish tax collector that's come to faith. This is a bad guy. This is a guy everybody else despises. But he was lost and he knew it. And when Jesus came to his house that day, Zacchaeus repented and believed. And it's easy for us. Have you ever done this? Have you ever written somebody off and said they'll never come to Christ because of the kind of sin they are or the kind of history they've had or whatever it is? That would have been Zacchaeus. And Jesus says in that setting, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The people that you and I think are lost, we're not sure they know they're lost. Jesus has come to save the lost. I love this too. Luke 15, you got a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son to show that God says, I'm looking, I'm going out seeking those folks who are lost and without hope and without me. And I'm bringing them in. If we're a Christian today, by the way, this is important to remember. You can get a sense of I'm lost along the way. When Christ is your Savior, Shepherd, He's with you and He leads you safely all the way home. He keeps us. We're in His hand. His hand is in the hand of the Father. He gives us eternal life. We will never perish. He doesn't lose any that the Father has given Him. So whether you're coming to faith in Christ at the beginning, I'm lost, Jesus save me. Or I'm saved, Jesus take me safely home. Jesus is a Savior for the lost guys he's also a savior and he's come to save the troubled um, It's another story some of you have had but I was in God's country again most of my great stories are in God's country in the mountains um, I was heading up Pinkham Creek Road in northwest Montana and uh, I was foolish enough to be driving the truck that I had worked on and I had tried to repair a tie rod in and it didn't go very well And I'm driving up in a foot to maybe a foot and a half of fresh snow, going merrily up, headed back to the cabin. And there's a deep ravine. And I take the left road going back towards my place. And the tie rod end fell out of my tire. And in this deep snow, my tire just did this. And it took me right off that road. And I've got a ravine. And you guys know in emergencies or crises how... It's like there's a movie in your mind, but it's, it's instantaneous. It's like the speed of light. You see all this stuff. You hear all this stuff. And I could see my truck plummeting down to the bottom of the ravine, bursting into flames, and Mike dying there in flames. That's what I saw in my mind. And you know what? No one had to tell me, and I didn't even have to think this. Do you know what I did as I'm going off the road? I yelled, Jesus, save me. Nobody had to tell me. You know, in, in the moment, it's just, Lord, save me. And he did. I'm here. He did. Uh, I didn't know it, but in God's providence, there was the remnants of an old logging road about 10 or 12 feet down that embankment. And I hit that. And I got out of my truck and walked a couple miles up the road home. Pulled my truck out the next day. I was in trouble. And Jesus came and saved me in my trouble. And Jesus has come to save the trouble. This is an image from Matthew 14, 30. Do you remember... When the disciples go out on the sea, Jesus sent them out. They're on the sea going back to the area of Capernaum. And Jesus says, I'll come later. And he's walking on the water that night. And they see him. And Pete says, Lord, if it's really you, command and I'll walk on the water out to you. And so Jesus says, OK, come on. The water's fine. And so Pete starts. And, and it starts well, right? But then it says his eyes get distracted. He takes his eyes, his focus off. Jesus, he sees the wind and the way. He sees the place he's in. And he starts to sink. And you remember what he said? He didn't have to think about this. He just said, Lord, save me. With a little more enthusiasm. <laughs> Lord, save me. And Jesus did. He reached out his hand and he pulled him out of the water. In fact, he got another one with the disciples in the boat. The boat is, looks like it's going to capsize. It's filling up with water. They say the same thing. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Do you remember what he did? He spoke and he calmed the winds and the waves. Jesus comes as the Savior to us in our points of trouble. I want to be be careful. I want to be clear in, in making two points on this. Sometimes when you're in trouble in life or I'm in trouble in life, Jesus saves us through troubles, not from them. Sometimes He saves us through them. He takes us through the trouble. He doesn't keep us from the trouble. He saves us through the troubles. In fact, sometimes don't you find that it's the troubles in your life that compel you to go to a Savior and ask for help. And for some of us, it's troubles that take us to Christ the first time to ask Him to save us from our sin. We realize our life is bigger than we can manage. My troubles are bigger than I can handle. I need somebody else to run my life. So God doesn't always save us from our troubles. Sometimes He saves us through our troubles. Sometimes He's allowing troubles to bring us back to Him. Jesus is a Savior, though, for us in our troubles, whether He saves us from them or whether He saves us through them. When we're in trouble, we have a saving, a saving friend who's there for us. Jesus saves us from our troubles. So you might say... I'm not poor, I'm not Jewish, I don't feel lost, and I'm not in troubles. Did Jesus come for me? Well, this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friends, that's all of us. That's all of us. The only trick here is recognizing and admitting that we are sinners as well. The incarnation... Jesus was born to die. This is why, if you look at Christmas as the Christmas cards only, we've missed the whole thing, haven't we? The baby in the manger is not the point. Christ on the cross, Christ in the grave, Christ in the resurrection is the point. But he has to come as one of us. He has to live a sinful, a sinless life so that he can take our place on a cross. He is the one that was born to die. So Christ came in the world to save sinners. And that's all of us. That's all of us. The means of this sometimes gets complicated in people's minds, but it's really quite simple, isn't it? That Jesus bore our sins, and so he invites us to accept the forgiveness he's earned for us. By God's grace, we say, you're saved through faith. Faith gets confused. The use of that term gets confused. But we would say trust today is a good synonym. I trust that Jesus can save me. I trust that His death for my sins is adequate. I trust that I'm justified because of what He's done. I trust Jesus and He saves me. And friends, it doesn't take or shouldn't take any time at all for us to inspect our own lives and see that we sin. That we qualify for Jesus as a Savior because we sin. We sin in what we say and what we don't say. We sin in what we do and what we don't do. We sin in what we think and what we don't think. We sin. And the good news out of that, the good news of great joy for sinners, or for those willing to recognize and admit that they're a sinner, is that Jesus came to save sinners like us. The last point I'll make is this, that Jesus is a savior for those still waiting for him. Jesus is a savior for those who are still waiting for him. We know that the... The salvation experience we get today from Jesus' saving role is a partial salvation. That is, we're still in a flesh and blood body that dies. We still, as Christians, sin. Now, there's lots of upsides, right? We know our sins are forgiven. We have peace and joy where perhaps before there was chaos. We have purpose and meaning because we know we're God's children. We have a place in his family. There's all kinds of upsides. Our minds are being renewed. We're letting go of harmful things from the past. All that's great. But we realize, I'm not fully saved. I'm not saved fully yet. And so you get this whole element that Jesus is a Savior for those who are waiting for Him. And this comes up in spades in the New Testament. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is a little bit like Zechariah, isn't it? Israel has been waiting about 2,000 years for a Savior. We've been waiting about 2,000 years for the Savior to return. But Paul says we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it this way in Titus 2.13. We're waiting for our blessed hope. That future thing that hasn't appeared yet. The appearing of the glory of our great God and savior jesus christ christians are still waiting for the savior and last hebrews 9 28 christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many sin was put away in that first coming will appear a second time not to deal with sin that's all done that saving work is done but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him He's a Savior for those who are eagerly waiting for Him. So you and I today, we're still waiting for a Savior. He saved us from our sin, from sin's power and sin's penalty, but sin's presence is still with us. And our glorious bodies we don't have yet. We're still waiting for a Savior. We're still waiting for Jesus, just as Zechariah and the Jews were in their day. We're waiting for a Savior today. My hope this this Christmas for all of us is that there's a sense of desperation related to Christmas and that it could come in a number of ways. One would be this, a memory of a past desperation when we knew in our poverty and lostness that if God didn't save us, we would not and could not be saved. A desperation from our past where we looked out and we said, Lord, if you don't save me, I will not be saved. I cannot save myself. Lord, save me. We might be in a present desperation because of troubles bigger than our ability to manage or over sins that seem to drown us like a flood. Any of this could be true for any of us today. A desperation related to what's going on in our life today. Or maybe simply the quiet desperation of waiting for redemption while our bodies age, while we're winding down, or maybe as hopes we had for this life haven't come to fruition. A sense of desperation. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill up my life. Give this thing significance. Let me see your glory. Let me see the reality of your glory. Make sense of all this stuff that's going on around me. So may God give us a sense of desperation this Christmas. Lord, thanks that for all who acknowledge need in one form or another, you have sent a Savior, the Lord Jesus, the anointed, chosen, saving King. And Lord, we want to say with saints of earlier ages, uh, come, Lord Jesus. We want to have our eyes not only on the past, in your glorious appearing in our humanity to take away sins, but, Lord Jesus, we want to have our eyes set on the future, the horizon, when you rise with healing in your wings. And we would say even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.